before you in your son's name that we can think and consider and be be moved to want to communicate with you in prayer in communion and fellowship lord we pray that this time that your spirit works powerfully we invite your spirit's presence to work in our lives and work in our hearts we pray that this time can um, not only engage our minds but some point in the evening or maybe tomorrow engage our bodies as we consider and, and think deeply about how we pray and why we pray and the, the potential mechanics of praying lord uh lord we thank you for your mercies that are new every morning great is your faithfulness we pray this in your son's name amen, amen. all right so last month we talked a little bit about prayer and you know i said we were going to talk about the impact of secularism on prayer but before we jump into that discussion, I want to ask you guys, how does prayer work? Like, how does it work? Does it work? Is that even the right phrase for it? Like, should I think to myself, how does conversation work? Like, how does prayer work? There's no 
there probably is a wrong answer, but who cares, right? <laughs> We're with family, so we could get it potentially off, and, and, and I'm going to be gracious if you're, like, completely off. So feel zero pressure is essentially the play. Fred, then um, Lincoln, then Connor. Mm. Or spend time with. Okay. Linka? Yeah, I can take a shot at similar. Like if you'd asked me like ten years ago, does prayer work? And I would have answered it. You know, now that question doesn't even make any sense to me. Mm. You know, it's funny. I would have tried to answer it, but it's just like Fred said, it's kind of like does the relationship with my wife work? Okay. It seems that uh, biblically everybody prays to the Father specifically. I know two people, but I may be wrong. Um, this may be a wrong answer, but I don't think I don't see people pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Again, I could be completely just forgetting Scripture, but it seems like and then when I pray, I always pray to the Father. Okay. Okay. Well, let me ask you guys this: What are our responses to people's? Um, testimonies regarding prayer like what is your personal response when you hear certain people give their testimonies about prayer like if I said hey guys I prayed yesterday that I could have a good day and God really blessed it today it was good what's, what, what's the response to that are, are you thinking man that was powerful work of the Holy Spirit that was God hearing me and reaching out for me to be a good day what, what, what are you guys' response to something like a statement like that that God answered my prayer for a good day I think it's hard because when I hear people say, you know, kind of the same thing, or they're like, oh, I hit the lottery, God answered my prayer, you know. Um, I don't know, I just feel like I think a lot of thought and emotion comes, maybe not the lottery part, but like a lot of thought <laughs> and emotion comes into having a good day or mm -hmm. something working out. Um, I think the comfort of knowing that God's listening. Amen. Now, let's just say hypothetically, I was like, we found out Iggy was sick yesterday, and then we all prayed, and Iggy got better the next day. What are we thinking? Is that an answer to God? What did he have? What did he have, right? <laughs> you know, instantly, those feelings start coming up. You're like, mm, I don't know, man. You know, it's a nice Christian thing. It's a polite Christian thing to do to pray for people when they say pray for them. But I think those things can elicit emotions like, ah. You know, I think um, if someone said, man, I prayed today to meet you. I know for me personally, I've had two or three people in my life say they prayed to meet me, and my skepticism just went through the roof. I'm like, meet me? Why me? And they say something, I'm like, you would have said that to anyone that would have walked through the door. Instead of being like, maybe this was a divine appointment, or things like that even real. And then we go a step further do we even think God would change his course in history in response to my prayer? So I'm trying to desperately look for it, and I can't find it, but the uh, parable of the woman and the judge, mm -hmm. where the woman, Jesus is saying, like, maybe we should pray, like, as an insistent woman, I think she lost her son. Luke 18. Some recompense from the judge. Yeah. She keeps asking the judge, like, nah, nah, nah. And she keeps asking the judge, like, no, you asked too much here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely tend to be under that school of thought when it comes to prayer. I can't find the scripture though. Luke 18. Luke 18. Right is here. Um, but good scripture, good thought. You know, our secular age has impacted how we think about prayer, has impacted how we think about our faith, it has impacted how we think about our Christianity. If you are saying to yourself, I am the lone fish who has not been impacted by secularism, I. I just read the Bible for what it says. You have been deeply impacted by secularism, if you think that thought. Because we all have. It is, 
ubiquitous. We are swimming in this stream of enlightenment education. And it's really important that we understand that even as we think about prayer. So because of the enlightenment and because of the scientific method, all of us that we learned when we were elementary school and high, in middle school and high school and all the other, the world started to get flat. We started thinking like, this is reasonable, this isn't reasonable. The world started getting disenchanted. We started thinking there's nothing special about this day or that day. They're all 24 hours or how many, how many um, I think the, the world rotates 365 days, point 25, and that's why we have to do a leap year. We start thinking like, oh, next year's gonna come because next year's gonna come. That's just what it does instead of, oh, 500 years ago, 1,000 years ago, a lot of people thought it was a gift of God for the next year to come. It just was, it just was a given that God was behind it. Now, scientifically speaking, we're all not like, thank God that another day showed up. We're all like, that's what, that's what happens. Whenever the sun becomes a giant star, we're all gonna phase out, get blown away, and that's how the story ends. Either Jesus come back or the star blows us up. One of the two is gonna happen. Because secular age has taught us how to view the world. It has impacted us, and believe it or not, it has impacted how you read your Bible, and certainly how you pray, and what you expect during your prayers. When you guys think of the world, as, as you learn in, in school and everything else, do you feel like it's reasonable to think of the world as enchanted? Does anyone need me to define what I mean by enchanted? <laughs> Come on. Front row. Okay, so what I mean by enchanted is that the world has a mystery to it, a, 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 a awe to it. Like if you read Lord of the Rings or you read um, the Chronicles of Narnia, that imaginative power where you're like, something else is here. Like the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. They went through the wardrobe and they were in another world. Like the world has a mystery about it. Where we walk in like, wow. This is different. I can't really explain it, and we're going to explain it. But so, do do you wake up in the morning and say, "Man, I'm experiencing the enchanted. That this world is enchanted." Mark. Wait. Well, so I mean, I love science. I, I go really deep in a lot of different fields of science, and every single field of science, the more we, we you know, the more we figure out. The more we figure out that we don't know, or, mm -hmm. you know, like it is, it, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. All the different questions that people have, and so it's it's sad because a lot of the education system, unfortunately, portrays science as if it's like, oh, we, it's very solid. We know everything. All the answers are here in some textbook somewhere. He's going to read it somewhere. But the actual field of science is like, nah, we, we know very little about how things work. There's so much as a mystery. It's amazing that anything exists because we don't understand how all this stuff works. Um, so, so to me, I, you know, because I've dug so deep into a lot of different scientific fields, it's hugely enchanting because uh, there's just so much of connections and ways that things work together that we, you know, barely understand the surface level understanding of how these things actually work. It's just amazing that it really works at all. Good that. Fred? Yeah, I think that what secularism has done is that even though, as Mark said, there's huge mysteries that are undone. What secularism has said is, it doesn't matter that we don't understand something, we will eventually learn it and we will understand it. And so there is no mystery to it, it's just- Unknown. It's just, we, ha we don't have the knowledge yet. Mm. In other words, and this is, you know, to me that's, that even though, even though if you just sat by yourself, in the woods and looked around and thought about it a little bit, you'd be enchanted. But um, we, we basically we basically cut off that road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, you, you you bring up a good point. You know, one example is I moved here. I don't know in July somewhere, July July, and. Maine is filled, Portland is filled with so many great places to be. I have only explored 
where I need to connect with people and where I need to eat. I have found some unique trails and unique paths walking with some of you guys, but on my own, I wasn't looking for those things because I, I was given a map of how the world is supposed to work. And so I could drive by a trail all day long, or I could drive by a really cool place all day long, but I can't see it even though it's right there in plain sight. And once I see it, I can't unsee it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so in so many ways, when we're talking about being enchanted and disenchanted, we, have, we, we are walking with blinders sometimes, and we can't even see what we don't see. But once you see it, once you encounter it, it's really hard to kind of step back and say, I don't see it anymore. And so, the phrase that Charles Taylor uses, he's a philosopher, is the world has a haunting about it. You know, how many of you guys know atheists who still go visit their, their dead parents in the, great, in the cemetery? You know, they show up there. They're like, I don't believe in anything, but there's something about, there's like, I, I do desire some sort of connection here. You know, there's many of us who can feel the haunting on the other end. You're a fired up disciple of Jesus, and you have those inklings, those moments where you're like, but is this real? Maybe I'm a Christian because I was born here in America. I was raised in a Christian family. Is this real? We feel the haunting on both ends where we feel like maybe I'm making it all up because like Fred mentioned, there's no real mystery. It's just I don't know yet. And so secular age has impacted all of us. And so what have we all become? Let's go to John chapter 20. So we're going to be talking about prayer, but I think it's almost impossible to talk about prayer without talking about God working in, in, in our present reality. John chapter 20, beginning in verse um, 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks one in... One moment. What are you doing, Siri? You don't tell me what to do. Unless I see the nail marks, um, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it on my side, stop doubting and believe. We all, in so many ways, have become Thomas in this secular age. If I told you a miracle took place, all of us put on our, most of us, put on our skeptical hats on. If someone walked in here and was like, I pray to God that the potential war with Russia stopped today and it did. That was an answer to my prayer. We're all like, ah, there was negotiation happening. There was this happening. There was that happening. Yeah, sure, you prayed about it. That was good. Let's go a step further. Something like cancer. Well, I had cancer and I prayed and it was removed. And you're like, yo, you see the doctors work, this work. It wasn't really the prayer that fixed you. It was the doctor. So maybe God worked through the doctor, but he didn't heal your body. Like, it was the doctor who did it. If I go a step further, no, I had cancer, then I showed up one day, and the doctor was like, it's just gone. I don't know where it went. What we're all thinking? You never had cancer. That doctor messed up. He said you had it, but you didn't have it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of times when it comes to how we think about prayer, because of our secular age, we are like, there's certain things God cannot do. And so when we read the scriptures, we have this habit of explaining away even what we read. Either we say that's what was back then, God doesn't do that anymore, or we're like, uh, I don't know how I feel about that. And I think a huge part of what we have tried to do is to appear relatable to the audience we're trying to preach the gospel to, that we have stripped the mystery of the power of God. 
that was a huge point for the fair I mean for Jesus when working with the Pharisees like when he healed the crippled man in um, Mark chapter 3 they're like who can forgive sins but God alone and he told the man to walk and they saw those two things and everyone was blown away again we can't talk about prayer without talking about God's activity in the world and so we're now faced with this pressure what what um what Charles Taylor calls a cross path pressure and I want to define a secular age for us so a secular age is a society a society is secular insofar as the religious beliefs or belief in God is understood to be one option among others and thus contestable conditions for belief is what is at stake so break it down even more in the secular age now Fred could say I believe in an elephant Jesse could believe in a turtle Connor could believe in Jesus Christ you could believe in this and all of these things are contestable now why do you believe in that how come you believe in that you could poke holes at what I believe in etc a thousand years ago 500 years ago it was a given that God was working now it's not so much of a given but in our challenge with it not being so much of a given is there's been a shift where we feel like we can't even embrace the power of God because we've been indoctrinated with what we learn in the secular world so I want to ask you guys what part of your prayer life do you feel like you know what that I that I can't pray for I just don't feel comfortable praying for that last week we talked about some stuff I know some of you guys mentioned I mentioned it last week too that it's easier to have relational prayers formative prayers but intercessory prayers Whew, no way I'm not gonna ask God for anything he doesn't even want me to ask him for anything even though there's a lot of scriptures where he says ask well I'm not gonna pray for that because that's not like what are some areas where you feel like yeah I do feel that tension and that challenge when it comes to praying of really expecting things from God I think a big challenge for me was when the explosion happened in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people in the campus of Miami who were praying about it. I was like, I don't even know those people. Like, uh, of course I could pray for healing or those things, but I don't know them. I'm probably not going to think of them until the next person comes up and say, oh, hey, are you praying for Lebanon? They're going to be removed from our conscience. Mm. Um, I don't know how I would like be able to find out the state of the people that I'm praying for pre or post prayer. So I think whenever people pray for these big events that you know that that happen, these big tragedies, I'll pray for these people. Like you guys got it. I got I got my people to pray for. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I think the way it strikes me is like like I might there might be a. a Mm-hmm. Um, and it's more sort of putting the whole thing into God's hands mm-hmm. and letting God work things out for the best of everyone involved. And his perspective is eternal. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, he, what God cares about is as many people go to heaven as possible. That's really kind of the main thing that he really cares about. So it's such a, a The other thing, you know, in prayer, like in praying for, for sick people, it's, it's like, I think it's more important that no matter what happens, that, that the person, that we, 
Yeah, I appreciate what you're sharing so much, Lincoln. So there is that component where you're like, okay, at what point is, do I live a life of surrender in prayer? Where David thought the life of his child, and it was very clear that God said no. And so the child passed away, David stopped fasting, and he proceeded. But then there was other times where there were examples. David, when he did the census count, he stood before God and like interceded, and God told the angel, stop with the sword, and it stopped, right? And so there's this component where you could just feel like, what, what is the faithful response? Because again, I think if, if we're not... If we're not careful, we can almost feel like, okay, God is the eternal vending machine. But then on the other end, if we're not careful, we could think God actually doesn't really care about that anyway. It's like when we read those things in the scriptures, I have to do mental gymnastics to even, even explain why it's even there. Like, why is that even there? I don't know. God doesn't really, I don't know what he was doing there. Instead of being like, okay, there, there is a heaven and earth meeting. Let me ask you guys that question. Do you guys believe that heaven and earth are connected? Can you explain what you believe about that? What does that mean to you? I think as evidence to me that heaven, heaven and earth is connected is that God is trying to establish a kingdom here. And you see that in Jesus. And then the fact that there are spiritual things that today we can participate in baptism. With the mechanics of how baptism works, I think that is a heavenly mechanism that is happening. That if we look at it just worldly, you are submerging yourself in water and then stepping out. Okay, now you're wet. Mm. Um, but I think that, to me, speaks to the heaven and the And then also, why is it because you enter a, a kingdom on earth that is heaven? Okay. Fred? Miss the Holy Spirit almost altogether. Other than you read the Bible and the Spirit helps you read the Bible, and if you look, if you look at the Bible at all, they, the people who were involved in what was being written in the New Testament absolutely did not believe that view of the Holy Spirit. They felt the Holy Spirit was with them, surrounding them, guiding them, leading them, changing them, interceding for them according to the will of God, and they there was absolute connection between the, the heavenly influence and their their personal lives. Not just the world, but they themselves were connected. They believed that. Yeah. They lived that way. We, we under, we've undersold the Holy Spirit big time. I don't, don't know exactly. I mean, it's really hard to, um, to get out of the way that we think. But it's very clear to me that I think I shared one time before, but when Chanel and I were in Uganda, there was um, two brothers who were prominent leaders in the churches over there who both had uh, almost died of COVID. One guy actually medically died, I think three times. Um, and both of them were in wards of people where like the, the survival rate was so low. Everybody was just dying around them. And then to sit there at the meeting, and, and the, the brothers and sisters were praying for these leaders to, to live. And they both had these crazy stories, because they were friends, of, of just what they went through, and coming back to life. And, and both of them were pretty much resigned to dying. Um, and I think being over there, I was like, wow, this is real. There's, there's no, there was no doubt in my mind that the prayers of those brothers and sisters is what kept those guys alive. I think at the same time, I'm so steeped in the secular age, I can kind of feel like here, we have so much, I have so much just money and, you know, wealth and science and all these things that it's just kind of like, there's almost no room for it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like I believe it, but I'm also, you know, just, it's just easier to sit over the couch or easier to find kind of a, 
job, but it was also this, you know. Um, it, it's a really good discussion. I, I struggle with, with secularism a lot. Mark. Back to your question about heaven and earth. Yeah. Um, my understanding of heaven throughout the Bible is linked either to the Garden of Eden or to the new creation, both of which are temple as well. The relationship between God and created things are mm -hmm. a right relationship. Uh, and so when we have a right relationship with God, we become pockets of heaven here on earth, you know, that we can influence others and help them see what heaven would look like uh, here on earth. Uh, as, you know, so it's, it's something we're looking forward to back, you know, in the future when all creation gets rectified in a right relationship with God. When we hopefully want to be One moment. Uh, but it's also uh, that, uh, yeah, so the, in the here and now is, you know, us living out uh, right relationship with God amongst people. Yeah, so there's that component of it, right? The behavior of it. And I think, again, this is, this is something we all believe in. This is something we all can attest to. But there's other components of the scriptures that it just is hard if you, especially if you're reading it consistently enough, like angels. How many of you think angels are baloney? Baloney, like not real. <laughs> how, many, how many of us think angels are not real entities? Ask how many people think angels are real. How many people think angels are real? <laughs> But you see, that's really important. That's something we can't see, and we would say they reside where? In the heavens. More than our behavior. We would say these spiritual entities are out there doing whatever, and sometimes they break into earth and do something. Right? We, we agree with that. And so when I say, do we believe in the intersection between heaven and earth, I'm talking about when those sort of things break in, when the flood breaks in, when those sort of things just like something outside of us are like, I, I got no explanation for this. Like um, our, 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 our stats and everything else kind of stop here. Or you, get, or you get confronted with the hard reality of, okay, I think that part of the scriptures is just a little bit too much for me to bear. Like that teaching is just one step too far. I like the teaching that I could control I like the teaching that makes me feel exceedingly comfortable. Like, I could pray for a behavior modification. I can't pray for a war to stop. I could pray for me to be kind to my wife. I can't pray for my marriage to be healed. I could pray for me to meet someone. I can't pray for a town to be transformed by the power of the gospel. And so I bring up the secular age because it has told us that we got to contest even what we believe. We are... As much as I think skeptics and non-believers are walking with doubt every single day, believers are now walking with doubt. Doubt is just the default setting of all of us now. I prayed this, but really, is that going to happen? I've, I've, again, I've shared this already with this group. There's been plenty of times I prayed, and I got up, and I was like, on one level, if God answers that prayer, that would be really groovy. On another level, that actually stresses me out that he might answer that prayer. Like, God, bring your kingdom today. And what if he does? And I'm like, whoa, I did not expect it was going to be this or be that way. And so I want, to, I want to talk about some thin places. Like places where you almost feel like, and we're going to look at it in the scriptures, and then I want you guys to think about your own personal lives, where places where you feel like, man, using Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe as an example, I'm right here standing in between heaven and earth in this thin spot right now. I feel the presence of God right here. And we know from scriptures that the Holy Spirit is everywhere, but there are certain places where Jacob and the latter, he's like, God was right here. I feel God's presence right here. And so let's go to Acts chapter 10. And the reason we're talking about this, because again, it, it impacts how we pray. If my prayers are simply about character formation, I don't know. If I like my character, I'm not going to pray today. I don't even need to pray. If it's about a relationship with God and my relationship with God, then I'm going to pray consistently, but I'm not actually going to bring his heaven 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not going to be the on earth as it is in heaven guy because I'm like, it's about what we're doing here. But if I'm really believing what the scriptures teach, then it starts to impact how I pray, how I read, how I think, what I anticipate. Um, Acts chapter 10. Let's start in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all things, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And then so Peter has this vision three times. Now let's take this story. If Tim said he had a vision and the Lord told him to get up and eat and do whatever, how believable is that? I think most of us in here were like, I don't know, Tim. <laughs> what movie were you watching? <laughs> well, get, get up and go where? Go talk to who? But Peter has this vision. And Peter obeys this vision. This vision was happening in a thin place where he's praying, kind of like Jacob's situation a little bit. He's praying, and then a trance happens. He has this vision. Then he goes to Cornelius' house, who God in the chapter in the verses above was already doing something over there as well, that these guys come up and say, hey, the Lord told me to come get you guys. So what's going on? And then he shows up, and he preaches the gospel. What would have our fellowship done? We would have said, of course I'm going to go. Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, go make disciples. Peter does not appeal to any scripture. And, and I say Matthew 28, but he easily could have said Isaiah 42, um, Genesis 12. There's a lot of passages that talked about the covenant needs to come to the Gentiles. But he didn't go to any of these things. He didn't even feel comfortable. Let's go. Now let's pick up here in verse um, in verse 44. No, in chapter 11, sorry. We're going to go to chapter 11. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles, heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. What's really interesting here is Peter didn't share any particular scriptures to support what he did. He shared about an experience he had. He's like, this is what happened. And let's see how the brothers respond to this. Verse 18. When they heard this, they had no objections and praised God, saying, so then even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That is so opposite of where we are today because of the secular age. You're like, you went and did what? Oh, tell me the story. Oh, yeah, I had this encounter. I was praying. I had this encounter with the Spirit. I showed up. The Spirit fell on these guys. I baptized them. And the brothers are like, wow. <laughs> okay, all right, no objections. Let's, let's continue on with the show. Let's keep going. None, most of us in here, you start off your story, I had a dream. You're like, you ain't MLK, buddy. You are very normal. Like, what dream did you have? What? No, don't make it, no decisions off of any dreams. Well, you're like, I was, all, I was praying for God to give me direction, et cetera, et cetera, and then a dream happened. I was praying for God to give me a direction, et cetera, et cetera, and then this situation took place. I was praying to God to give me a dream, et cetera, et cetera, and then a vision took place. I was praying God to, it's so interesting, the story of Peter getting locked up. The whole household is praying, God, release Peter. Angel breaks open the door. He's free. He knocks at the door. The, the, the servant girl sees him, runs back and tells everyone, yo, Peter is outside. They're like, it's his ghost. The whole area is praying that Peter could be released, and Peter is actually released. And they're like, it got to be his ghost. Like, just, even they had issues with how they pray, and they weren't in the secular age. Guys, Let's look at one more example of a thin place. It's in Luke. 
Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Can I get someone to read that? 18 through... Um, Luke chapter 9, not 18, sorry. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through uh, 33. Go for it. Well, 18 Which is so cool, right? So he's praying, and then instantly these guys show up. Again, this, there's behavior of bringing the, the behavior of heaven on earth, and then there's situations where Elijah and Moses just show up. I'm not saying Elijah and Moses are going to show up while you're walking over here at near Casco Bay. <laughs> that would be awkward. But if, if that did happen, that would be encouraging too. But what I am saying, there are thin places where God can do something, but it starts with believing that God can do something. We see in the, in the gospel stories where Jesus wasn't able to do certain miracles in certain places because they didn't believe. This is a stretch because, again, we've been trained that in the secular age, we've been trained that, no, you don't believe stuff like that. Who has ever seen someone pop up out of anywhere? That just, that just doesn't happen. And so we've tamed the scriptures we've tamed potentially even our prayer lives because, you know, disappointment can set in and then our, our reasoning skills set in. And Jesus, the four gospels is all about Jesus defying common sense. You have the widow who was dragging out her kid and he was about to die. Bingo, the kid's back up. Then you have the woman with the bleeding, draw power out of Jesus. You have this situation. But it's almost like Jesus needed to show us enough, and the gospel writers need to show us enough to let, say, with God, all things are possible. Now, there is a component that I think is really important. Will God bless a prayer of sin? It betrays his character. So if I'm like, God, I want all of my enemies to die right now. That's not going to happen unless I go kill them because he, he loves everybody. If I'm like, God, I want to take this person's wife from them. God's like, what are you doing, man? No. But if we're asking for God to bring his kingdom in a unique way that we see the need for his kingdom, I really believe there's a potential that could happen. I think where we have to get comfortable with is, as Christians, we live in a state of the already but not yet, and we need to be okay with disappointment in prayer. I think too many of us have had disappointment in prayer, and so we have drawn back where Jesus would say, lean in. Like, lean in, continue to lean in. Like the, the passage Connor alluded to, keep, keep going back. But you're like, I might get discouraged. In the process of that whole situation, as you're learning and growing, if your heart is exposed because you want it for the right, wrong reason, that will be exposed over time if you're consistent. But if your heart is in the right spot, keep going, and God will be like, eventually, I'm gonna answer. Israel was in slavery for 400 years. They cried out and God heard them. Now he promised he was gonna do it, but they still cried out and he heard them, he responded. So I wanna ask you guys, what are some of the things that make it really hard to believe in the transcendence? That God is out there and he could do anything he wants and he can and will respond to you in your prayers in more than a formation sort of way, in more than a relational sort of way. Lincoln. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a huge problem in our church and, and just Christianity in general is that you know it's really hard for us because of our 
I've been using the idea of thin place for a few years. I mean, it's, it's the first time I heard it in context, but in, in my own life, a thin place or a God place. But, you know, I've come to really believe that God, God can speak to us in a very real, meaningful way, you know, uh, an emotional, intimate connection with God that's very real. And I, I don't think most people believe in that. And, and because of that, I, I think they miss out in, in just the amazing sort of experience and beauty and, and comfort that they can come from an intimate relationship with God. So, yeah, it's like right now there's a there's a certain there's a place that's that's sort of my thin place right right now, and it, it's this it's this little tiny place, and, and there's there's a there's a brook that, that actually flows underneath the tree. Mm-hmm. So it, it, the brook goes in on top of the tree and comes out on this. It's and it's just a beautiful spot. And kind of my thin It does. I think that that's not what we learn in school. So I've definitely tasted that. Uh, I think it's it comes from. I'm going to share on Sunday about um, <clears throat> when we start praying with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, when we seek God with an open heart and a willing mind. Mm. I've also seen that <coughs> skepticism just this week. I got a text from a brother who was telling me about someone who had just recently been marked because they were claiming that they had uh, this experiential, these experiential things. So instead of saying, instead of us being wondrous and saying what really happened, is that you know maybe this person is experiencing something that I should be experiencing. We go, it can't be right, he's off the edge. Don't listen to what he has to say, don't learn from him. And our secular training shuts down our spirituality, or shuts down the opportunity even, through that kind of mechanism. And I think it's, you know, imagine if Peter had arrived back in Jerusalem and the the people said, hey, you went into the house of the Gentile, we don't care what happened. What you did was dangerous to our movement. We're marking you and we're throwing you out. They could have. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just find that I'm trying to train myself to just be uh, amazed, one, uh, just to wonder at these things. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I didn't do it. But if that happened, that's amazing. That's incredible. And be open to it. Yeah. One. Yeah. You know, when I think about this this specific topic, it's kind of, for some people who experience this, and then they start telling you about how the experience is, how it be, for some people, it would be so hard to believe. But for some other people, when they experience it, and then I'll give you an example with me. It's more like, let's say like someone says something to you, like, hey, like, I wanna, oh, I, I, was, I want to like, pick you right now, because I think God told me that this is gonna happen, and I don't want like, you guys to be safe. And they say, oh, no, thank you. Oh, what? No, we, I think we're gonna be okay. And the next thing, these two guys realize that this guy was telling the truth, because they and that specific example, I'll say, happened to my dad when we first came here. And I think it was in California or somewhere in California. It was a Bible school. And they were like walking together somewhere. 
then it was like, no, you have to like, and then still ran confused because came on the clock private and it's like, hey, Phil, he has my, he has my, my friend guy so much, like, so much empty stuff. Like, I feel like someone told me like, hey, like, And they started walk like a mile later, and it was so pitch black, you know, that so they, they realized like hey, this guy is just like telling the truth, or, like just not kidding about this. Mm-hmm. He told me actually took a story. So it's when I think about this, it's more like it's really hard to believe when people don't they they tell the same thing. Or the human mind shuts down. But then when he realized the like, oh, jeez, still, still true. And I think he mentioned God told him that, that he was like, that person to like, hey, like, go to this people and take it, driving somewhere for this light. You know, and you can think about this like, you know, I can think about that moment where like, Jesus was crucified, and that wonder was so weird. Like, we realized, oh, Jesus, Jesus was actually the Son of God. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think the scriptures give us a mechanism to test the Spirit. So you don't need to just blindly, you can test the Spirit. If someone's saying, this is from God, we can test the Spirit. I don't know how exactly to do that other than to, if it aligns with what I think God is doing in this world. If it doesn't, then I, I don't know if God's behind that. But what I will say is, if we believe in the resurrection, really everything got to be on the table. Like, if we believe we're all going to raise from the dead, and we're going to, everything else has to be on the table. That, if I'm going to stop believing in certain things, that got to go first. Because there's really not a lot of evidence for that other than the Lord has risen himself. But no one else I've ever seen, like, been raised and never gone back. Even those crazy stories of the resuscitation that, that you can read about, they all eventually die again. So if we believe in a resurrection, which is foundational to our Christian faith, everything else is on the table. And I think I'm hoping that we can start praying prayers, and I've been trying to do it myself, that every day we anticipate the kingdom to break in. That every single day, and we start our days by praying, God, I'm anticipating the kingdom breaking in at the workplace, maybe in my home, maybe in my community, but the kingdom will break in. And I pray that I can have the eyes to see and the ears to hear to partner with what you're doing in this community and what you're doing at the workplace and what you're doing here. But I think it, it requires, like, if we believe that, then all of us are praying every day because we're excited about that because we want his kingdom come. But if we don't believe that, then we don't pray every day. Or we pray other things. We pray like, God, help me not be evil, which is a great prayer. I hope everyone prays every day, don't be evil. But I want us to start praying, God, I want the kingdom to break in. And I want to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear it. To be able to recognize it and partner with what you're doing in this unique moment. And so anyone else, what makes it difficult to believe in the transcendent? I appreciate everyone who shared so far. Ken, then yeah, Sebastian. Well, I kept thinking of um, uh, Jonathan and, and his armor bearer. I think it was his armor bearer, but oftentimes either I'm like Jonathan or I'm like the armor bearer, where you can look up and uh, you know people that automatically are very spiritual and they, they feel God's presence all the time, they see God around them. That was Jonathan. He looked up and he saw. Do you not see? And so many other times where, like the other guy, you just have to open your eyes and see. Mm-hmm. And really, that's what, that's uh, kind of what I was thinking about. It is just sometimes my eyes just aren't open to see the spiritual world that's around me. And you know, you know, so many. I mean, I have so many different friends that are that are seem to be are very spiritual. They they are very in tune to you. The spirit is talking. Great inspirational, but try and bring it into our daily lives that I am, I can look up and I can see God all around me. 
Yeah, that's a fruit of um, secularism. It makes you feel like you have a mental health disorder when you're like, the spirit is talking to me. You're like, I hope not. Like, I like when the Bible talks to me because I can read it. But if I think I hear something, I need to go get checked out. And you, like, um, I, I, I like what um, Lincoln mentioned. You know, you can feel even fear and trepidation. Like, how do I tell you that I think I heard God's voice today? You're going to think I'm nuts. You're going to think I'm out here running around in the news saying hallelujah, hallelujah. Like, we could feel that fear instead of being like, I, I'm confident that this isn't a psychotic break. And there's enough other people around me who could attest to that prayerfully. Sebastian. I was going to kind of bounce off what Ken was saying. Um, kind of like a, I'll see it when I believe it type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like not having the blinders on and not necessarily kind of seeing through, like actually seeing your day as for what it is. Like you see the trees, you see the sky, you see like all this beauty around you. Um, and you not you may not necessarily think, oh, this is God's presence, this is this kind of his creation, whatever. You get Come on. You know? <laughs> like it showed up. <laughs> Rolex. <laughs> Rocks came together, put it on. Yeah, I hear that. Um, yeah, uh, Jesse. Yeah, this is related to what um, they were saying, but I think, I think there's like the secular age, but for me, there's also just busyness. Mm. And maybe that's different, maybe it's the same. I'm not sure. very normal. Fred and Josiah. Can I, can I share a... Go for it. You know, in, uh, in Mark chapter 3, the uh, Pharisees, or the teachers of the law, these guys were coming after Jesus saying that he cast out demons because he is a demon himself. Yeah. He cast out demons by demons, and Jesus goes, that's ridiculous. Any house that does that isn't going to last, and so demons won't cast out demons. And then he goes on to say, um, he says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He's guilty of an eternal sin. Yeah, that's not encouraging. I think that, I mean, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when we attribute the work of God to demons. When we attribute work of the Holy Spirit to demonic power. Uh, that's what the Pharisees were doing and Jesus says, this is an eternal sin that cannot be forgiven. And I, 
That's a very serious warning. I'm not sure I completely understand it. But I think we need to be very charitable and very, very careful when we start telling people that their experiences have, are demonic or deranged or attributed to something else other than the genuine work of the Spirit. Now, we may doubt it, but I think, uh, I think the warning here is we've got to open our eyes and we've got to be really careful because this is a very serious situation. Amen. Appreciate that. Josiah. Yeah, so kind of uh, just also somewhere with Sebastian and, and Jesse, but I think a lot about uh, Lazarus and the rich man. Yeah. They have the prophets and don't believe them. They won't believe that uh, Lazarus returns. And I think about that a lot. And I think that's very true. I think if I had say like a, the power to like call down lightning, right? I think it'd be a sh- like a shock. Like if God gave me that power, I think it'd be a shocking short period of time for me to believe that that was my power to do that. Like that's not God. That's me. I can call down lightning. And uh, yeah, it's, it's but it's also difficult to always view world around us as being miracles mm. and I, uh, thankfully I, I think I can do that at times but it's kind of alarming how often I don't view everything as a miracle or don't view everything as a sign of God around me you know the answer to that to that thought right there which is powerful is worship worship is um, an expression of hope every time we get together and we're singing songs we're singing songs prayerfully of hope we're hopeful of a resurrection. We're hopeful of a new creation. And so Christian fellowship reorients you consistently to consistently see the work of God. You know, even when we take communion, we're, we're, we're remembering what Jesus did. Week in, week out, we're remembering what Jesus did. Because it's very easy, like you mentioned, Josiah, to lose sight of that. And um, Christian community is so important because our battle isn't against flesh and blood. Like Paul really saw spiritual forces at work trying to orient the believers one way and the 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 spiritual community is trying to orient you another way and so it really takes intentionality and commitment to community to do that but that's a powerful thought josiah um yeah so i want to i want to i want to leave us with this so next time we meet up we're going to talk a little bit more about our posture in prayer I'm not telling you how to pray, but I do want to encourage us with the posture we should go into prayer. I talked a little bit about it, like expecting disappointment. I mean, expecting God to answer, but being okay with disappointment. Because I think most of us probably stop praying as much once a prayer doesn't get answered. Or we reorient our prayer so much so we never get disappointed. But there is a, there's a part of it that that is a part of the journey. That is a part of the formation that God has us on. So we're going to talk about more of the posture, not necessarily how to pray. But I do want us to start, pay attention, slow down just enough to recognize the thin places. I believe all of you guys in a given six months are encountering thin places. You felt it, you were sitting there in your living room on the hike or whatever, and you were like, God? Nah, that's not God. Stop and say, wow, why, why did I even think of God in this moment? Nothing else is bringing me to God's attention, but this just happened. Find that thin place, and if you do, Ask God, please speak. Your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. Bring it in, Lord. Tell me. And then follow up that prayer. Give me the courage to act on whatever you say. And God will be like, go sell everything. Ah, no, that ain't God. (laughs) Keep talking. (laughs) I give you the courage to to do whatever he called you to. And prayerfully, we're all being faithful disciples in here. We'll say, that was God? Wow. Again. We all read the Bible. Jesus asked people to do some interesting things. Like the guy who got spit on his eyes? Like, oh, you trying to get healed? Oh, boy. Like, Jesus, you healed that guy from not even going to his house. Why you got spit on me? But it happened. <laughs> we just got to be like, that's, that's how God worked in that situation. Any closing thoughts? So next, next time we meet, we're going to talk about our posture as we get ready to encounter God, as we get ready for the kingdom to break in through prayer. Any closing thoughts or questions or anything that we want clarity on? Going once, going twice, so we are done, guys.